Good evening, everyone, and thank you, Trevor. How, uh, how patient are you? Would you describe yourself as a, as a patient person? Uh, would those who know you well, those who live with you, those who spend a lot of time with you, would they say that patience is one of your better characteristics? It's an obvious virtue in your life. I think it's fair to say, and maybe it's just me, but I think it's fair to say that most of us struggle with patience. I see a few people nodding. Aristotle said that patience is bitter, but then he went on to say that its fruit is sweet. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to it. And in War and Peace, which I've never read, uh, Leo Tolstoy said, wrote this, the strongest of all warriors are these two, time and patience. But what exactly is it? What, what does it mean? How would you define patience? Here is the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of patience. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Well, tonight, as we kind of get back into James's New Testament letter to Christians that we've been looking at for the last few months, we find James, at this point of his letter, urging his readers to be patient. Patient in two ways. Patient in their waiting, and secondly, patient in the face of suffering. And I want to suggest to you, and that this is not going to be news to anyone, but I want to suggest to you that both of those are really tough. It's, it's tough to be patient when you're waiting. It's particularly tough to be patient in the face of suffering. And yet, patience for James is another one of those characteristics of authentic Christianity. It's another one of the hallmarks of true Christians. And we've been kind of looking at a whole lot of identifying features of genuine, authentic uh, disciples of Jesus Christ that James has identified in his letter. Here's another one. They are patient. So let's stand together and let's hear what James has to say. We're looking at James chapter 5. It's page 1216 in those red pew Bibles. And if you're visiting here, what we often do at Windsor is we stand for the public reading of God's Word. So let's stand together. We're going to read from verse 7, which is where we left off two weeks ago. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers or sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, 
not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Grab a seat. As I've said, and as, as we all know, patience is hard, and, and waiting patiently is even harder. I, I came across a list this week of 10 things that we hate waiting for. And also, alongside the 10 things that we hate waiting for, it actually gave the amount of time that we will wait before we then freak out. Okay? So I'm not going to tell you all 10, but let, let me tell you the top number of them anyway. So the first thing that we hate waiting for, apparently is a car in front of you to move when the light has gone green, right? Now, I want you to have a guess for me, okay? How long, according to this survey, how long do you think we wait before we freak out? Apparently, it's 50 seconds, right? So who reckons it's a lot less than 50 seconds? Yeah, exactly, okay. Here, here's, the second, here's the second one on the list. What we hate waiting for is people to stop talking in a movie. And apparently we are prepared to wait one minute, 52 seconds before we freak out. Number three, what we hate waiting for, parents to deal with a noisy baby. Two minutes, 41 seconds, and then we lose it. Number four, for your name or number to be called in a doctor's surgery. And how long is we prepared to wait for that? 32 minutes, apparently. Number five, for your significant other to get ready. What do we reckon is the time before we'll freak out? Two hours. <laughs> Trevor, that was, Trevor said that, Alice, where is Alice? Where is that? Apparently it's 21 minutes. Number six, for the queue in Starbucks to go down, okay, is what we hate waiting for. We're prepared to wait seven minutes, but the bigger question is, what are you doing in Starbucks? There are other much better coffee shops. And my daughter works in Starbucks. Please don't record that, James, and don't, <laughs> don't put that online. Number seven, here, here's the last thing I'm gonna share. What we hate waiting for, someone on a mobile phone who is talking loudly to end their call. How long do you think we're prepared to wait for that? Two minutes, 25 seconds. I'm sure we could all think of other things that we, we hate waiting for, but, in James chapter 5, the thing that they are to be patient in waiting for is this. It, it's the Lord's return. It's a well-known fact that at, that at this time in history, many of the first of the early Christians were pretty convinced, or they certainly hoped, that Jesus would return again at any moment. Certainly, they, they hoped he would come back during their lifetime. And, and therefore, some early church leaders and key voices like Paul and like James and like Peter had to speak into that expectancy. Now, not to quash it, because as James himself says in verse 8, if you look at this, the Lord's coming is near. So, so these writers didn't want to quash that sense of expectancy. The Lord's coming is near. That will always be true. But they had to speak into this expectancy in order to encourage people to keep on living their Christian lives in light of this reality. Bearing in mind that there's no point kind of shutting down and hanging on thinking that it is going to happen in the blink of an eye, which it is. 
But many Christians at this time had kind of decided to take the hand off the till, so to speak, and were just hanging around waiting for it to happen. And so a number of New Testament writers had to speak into it. But some people were getting disillusioned. Why has Jesus not come back? And so James writes, brothers and sisters, be patient. Be patient. Now I want to press pause for a kind of moment because as we all know, for the people that James initially wrote to, this actually meant having to wait patiently for what turned out to be their entire lives. Because every single first century Christian died before Jesus came back. And into the bargain, here we are 2,000 years down the line. 2,000 years later, and Jesus still hasn't returned. Which amongst a number of things raises at least one or two questions. The first is this. Are we anywhere near as expectant or as convinced that the return of Jesus is imminent? Are we? And secondly, do we still require anywhere near the same level of patience as we wait? And I realize that the answer to the second question is profoundly influenced and dependent on our answer to the first. Because if as a result of time, if as a result of two millennia plus, the answer to the first question is an honest to God, no. We're not as expected. We're not as expectant as these first century. We're not as convinced as these first century Christians were that Jesus' return is imminent. Well, if our answer to that question is no, then patiently waiting for the Lord's return is maybe not a big issue for us. It's not, it's not a live issue. And therefore, when you read this text and you come across this text and you hear James saying, my brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming, if we were honest, if I was honest, I don't really feel this is a life issue for me. But let me zoom out for a moment. And let me bring in one of those other biblical voices. Because yeah, this is James writing, but let me bring in Peter. Because you see, when Peter was writing to the recipients of his letter, he had identified that they were wrestling with this problem and this tension. And so he spoke into it and, and he offered a truly biblical perspective that we do have to recognize and we do have to appreciate every bit as much and maybe even more so. And in the space of, of two verses in his second letter, Peter gives us three critical aspects to bear in mind and live in light of. And the two verses are on the screen. And the three things that we need to hang on to are this. And this is how it was then and this is how it is now. And the first is, God is not slow in keeping his promise. It's really important that we, we hang on to that. God is not slow in keeping his promise that Jesus will return. But secondly... God's time scale and ours are not concurrent. So Peter says here, a day with the Lord is, is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And so you could argue it's only been about 48 hours since Jesus returned to be with his Father. 
And then the third thing is this, what we call delay is in fact the outward evidence of God's merciful longing that none should be unready when Jesus comes. Because what does Peter say? God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. And therefore, Jesus has not returned. And I really believe we have got to hang on to those three things. God is not slow in keeping his promises, but his time scale is not concurrent with ours. And what we might call delay is, in fact, grace and mercy and love. But let's go back to James 5, because what he then does for his readers is he offers some incredibly helpful advice on how you wait. And we've, we've said it time and time again, James is such a practical book. And so what he does is he offers some practical advice on how you act whilst waiting. Someone has said, and I think I've used this quote before, that, that patience is not the ability to wait, but it is how you act while you're waiting. It's not the ability to wait, it's how you act while you're waiting. Well, this is kind of what James does here. He, he talks about how we are meant to act as we wait. And so let's look at some of his reflections. And, and so if you have a Bible open, it would be really helpful. And what I want to suggest and the, the angle I kind of want to come at this from is that what he says next is relevant and helpful for every single situation where patience is required or where we have to wait, even in the face of suffering. So in verse 7, what James first of all does is he grabs the example, and again, we may find this hard to connect with as urban city dwellers. But in verse 7, James grabs the example of a farmer to say something about how necessary, and here's the thing, how fruitful patience is to the farmer. You see, a farmer says, James, a farmer can't rush the seasons. A farmer can't cut corners regarding the laws of nature, at least not if he wants to yield a valuable crop. He's got to wait for the autumn rains. He's got to wait for the spring rains. Why? Because patience for the farmer leads to greater fruitfulness. And for James, that's an idea, that's a concept that he's already referred to and teased out in his letter regarding the Christian life. Because in the very first chapter, James begins by urging his readers to hang on, to persevere, to be patient. Why? Because that is essential in Christian growth and maturity. It's a process that you need to accept and embrace. Fruit does not grow overnight. You've got to wait. You've got to be patient. Impatience only leads to a lack of fruitfulness. Any and every farmer knows that. And although some farmers may try to speed up the process, they need to be patient if they want to reap the maximum benefits, if they want a better or bumper harvest. And so in our Christian lives, the same applies. Patience, waiting, enables greater growth in holiness and Christ-likeness. But if we try to rush it, if we refuse to wait, then we will become impatient and our fruitfulness will be diminished and restricted. So to start with, see if you want to wait well, if you want to be patient, says James, observe the farmer. 
But secondly, as James urges his, urges his readers to copy the farmer's patience, he also says, stand firm, verse 8. And, and what he's referring to here is the need for determination, the need for steely resolution and perseverance, because pa- patience is not passive. It's anything but. Patience takes commitment. Sustained commitment. I know that personality and temperament come into this at some level, but generally speaking, our default position in most situations of having to wait is impatience. And although we may be better on some days than we are on others, unless we stand firm, unless we are determined, unless we are committed, then we will freak out far too quickly. I'm not sure how many of you use the, the, the Revised Standard Version of the Bible or the English Standard Version or even the King James Version of the Bible, but I think it's fascinating how in each of those translations, it's not stand firm that any of those says, but here's what all of them capture that phrase as. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts and, and now we're back to something we keep saying and repeat over and over and again, and, and I don't apologize for that, but the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. You see, when it comes to patience, you need to guard your heart. When it comes to patience, you need a strong and a committed core. When it comes to patience, you need a heart that is fixed, that is established in God. Which leads us to ask a question we often ask. How how is your heart this evening? How is your heart? Is it fixed? Is it fixed on God? Or or is it drifting? Is it compromised? Is it unstable? Because if it is, then patience in waiting and patience in suffering is going to be almost impossible. James says, listen, see if you, this is how you act. In order to learn how to wait well, you stand firm. You establish your heart. You remain committed. Next, James turns to one of his favorite subjects. The importance of our words. The importance of how we speak. Look at verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And isn't it so true that if we lose our patience or become impatient, it's often our words, our language, and our speech that is affected and impacted. When you lose your patience, you have a tendency to voice off, either under your breath or just right out loud. Back to sitting in that car at the traffic lights. When it turns green and the person in front of you doesn't move, what do we do? Do we stand on the horn? Do we shout all kinds of things? What do we do? You see, when we become impatient, our tongues can often let us down. And James specifically talks about the danger of this within the family of God, where we carp and we complain about our fellow believers. When it comes to how we act whilst we wait... The importance of paying close attention to what we say and how we speak is critical. 
Don't grumble against one another, says James. Don't complain about each other. But I want you to note here, not only does this wreck your waiting, not only does this wreck your ability to be patient, but you'll be judged for it. You'll be judged for it. Remember, James is writing here to Christians. You'll be judged for this. And James actually makes the point that the judge is at the door. It's a a fascinating phrase. Which again could be considered as as another reference to the imminence of his return. But at another level, it also serves as a sobering reminder that when we speak to or about one another in negative ways, Jesus himself is within earshot. He's just standing right at the door. He hears. He hears it all. And he will judge accordingly. So how do we wait? Three things so far. We we observe the farmer. We stand firm. We tame the tongue or we watch our words. It's interesting how in verse 12, just jump down to it for a second, James returns to this issue of our, our speech. And he says, listen, don't swear. It's not about bad language. Don't, don't swear by heaven or earth or anything else. Just a simple yes or no, that's all that's needed. And, and James is not saying here, by the way, that it is wrong or a Christian should never speak under oath in a courtroom. Some people have taken these kind of verses in Scripture to mean that, that that's not what James is talking about. But what he is really dealing with here is our everyday conversations. Whereas Christians, our words should be enough. People should be able to trust what we say. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. So just to enlarge kind of this tame your tongue point as we develop patient waiting, we must be people who are true to our word and whose word can be trusted. But finally, let me go back to verses 10 and 11 because James offers another couple of examples around the theme of patience. And this time he kind of turns his attention to how you can be patient in suffering. And this is a massive subject and and I'm not going to go into it in any great detail at all tonight. But so much of what, what hopefully I have said applies to this. But it is really hard to be patient in the face of suffering. And there are some Christians who think and who teach that, that actually, you know, Christians shouldn't really suffer. And if they do, then, then it's abnormal or something's not quite right or even worse, it's a sign that something's wrong in their Christian lives. That is not, I believe, a biblical perspective. In fact, Scripture is full of examples to the contrary. Suffering of one kind or another for the people of God is normal. It's normal. As Sam Albury writes, it is not a sign that things have gone wrong, but that they've gone normal. And James refers to to biblical heroes who have suffered. But his reason for referring to these biblical heroes who have suffered is to make the point that actually God is faithful. In their suffering, this is how we learn how to wait patiently in our suffering, in knowing from past examples, that God is faithful. 
He is full, as it says at the end of verse 11, full of compassion and mercy. And the two examples that James refers to are, one, the prophets in general. He doesn't specify which ones. He just says the prophets. And a second example is Job. And we know that the prophets are those who spoke the word of God, and almost every single prophet who spoke the word of God ended up suffering for it. Suffering, it seems, went with the turf. But as we also know, every single prophet of God hung in there. They were patient in their suffering. And that is our calling, and that is our challenge, because as James says, we count as blessed those who have persevered, those who have been patient in the face of suffering. Those are the ones that we count as blessed. And then he comes to this second example of, of Job, and, and it's such an extreme example. I know it is. Someone who lost everything. And yet through it all, he persevered. Through it all, he remained patient. Through it all, he was prepared to wait on God. And so he was able to say, yes, the Lord has given, but the Lord has taken away. But you know what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is an extreme example of patience in the face of suffering, but it's a great example. And that's why James grabs that particular example and says, listen, you need to learn from past examples of how to act in order to be patient in the face of suffering. And so, as I finish... Another one of the signs of authentic Christianity, another one of the signs of keeping it real as a Christian is patience. Patience in waiting, patience in the face of suffering. Neither are easy. Both are essential. And how do we do it? We observe the farmer. We stand firm. We watch our words. And we learn from past examples. Be patient. The Lord is near. One day, so much of this is going to make a whole lot more sense. One day. But for now, let's sing as we close. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Let's stand together and sing as we close.